The Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast is proudly sponsored by New Vision. My team, Kanda, power. I love the power. power, power. I love the power. power, power. I love the power. G'day everyone, Macca19 here and this is the Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast coming to you live on Port Fan Radio. Uh, Rick tonight is a late exclusion, so coming in uh, off the emergencies list is Porsche. Yeah, g'day, Macca. Um, look, it's good to be here, but if I can just get serious for a moment, I just there's something I'd like to say. Um, it may be a bit political, but I, I feel like we really need to discuss it. Mm. Um, look, we live in difficult times, and there's been harsh realities forced on us this past week, uh, and I think that most people would agree that the world will never be the same um, we've sort of let things get away from us and now they're all around us and we're surrounded. And look, I think Australians need direction. Um, so I'm asking all Port Adelaide fans to remember those who have gone before us and what they would do in our place. And I'm asking Port Adelaide fans to never forget that we've golden soil, not blue or red. We shall fight them at the beaches, at the malls and train stations, and most of all, at the Pokemon gyms. We shall never surrender. <laughs> Join Team Instinct and reclaim our country. That's the question. Well, I mean, I think every Port Adelaide fan should become a Team Instinct member so that, you know, at least when you're at the game, you've got something you can do and you can train your Pokemon. Is this now a thing again, Pokemon? Yeah, it's a big thing. It's come out on Android and iPhone um, and basically it's linked up with Google Maps or something like that, a mapping tool. And everywhere in the world there are little Pokemon stops where you can pick up Pokeballs and catch Pokemon You've got a Pokemon living near you right now, Macca. I bet you. You've got Pokemons waiting in your bushes to be caught. Right? It's quite, terrifying. Quite possibly. Quite possibly. This is, uh, this is something to behold here. It's really... Honestly, it's kind of amazing how it's taken over so quickly. Like, there's already... I read just earlier... I read a guide for black people in the United States on how to play Pokemon Go and not get in trouble with police for loitering in odd spots because that's where the Pokemons are. Hmm. Which fair enough. It's weird. It's probably needed, but it's just really it's, uh, something we haven't seen before. I think you'll probably get sick of hearing about Pokemon Go very soon. I think I was on the project tonight, so there you, okay. go. there you go. Anyway, let's move on. I thought I'd distract from the terrible football. You've done well. You've done Thank well. You. <laughs> and look, a, a wonderful segue into a very important um, article which was released mm. uh, by the Age um, during the week, which is about. Um, uh, our former Port Adelaide player, Daniel Stewart. Um, and look, if you haven't read it, it's, uh, it's in the H, um, about his dealings with depression, suicidal thoughts, and, uh, and the harsh reality of, uh, of being delisted by an AFL club, and where that leaves you mentally and physically to deal with the rest of your life. Um, have you read that article, Portia? Yeah, look, I have read that article, and I think it's really worth reading. Not... It's worth reading to get perspective on what AFL players go through when they're delisted which I think is something that we often forget and that, you know, when people leave the club, you know, we might all agree that they're not good enough to be there. But 
it's been made a point. And you, you, when you go to the Port Adelaide Best and the Ferris, I mean, you hear them say every time, you know, you're always welcome back at Port Adelaide. It's because it's really important. Um, but I think there's a broader lesson to be learned from that as well because it happens to people in all sorts of situations, you know. Um, they leave something that they've let define them. So AFL football is obviously right near the top of that list, but for other people it might be, you know, they've retired um, and they're no longer getting that same respect and that need to do things every day that they used to have. And it's a huge life change and it can be really hard to deal with. And if you suddenly lose all your work friends, for example, that can be really depressing. Yeah. Or, you know, for example, you just had a kid, you just had a, little, a baby and now you can't do all the things that you did previously. All these huge live adjustments that everyone can go through. Um, some people are better equipped personally and in terms of the people around them to get through it. And some people aren't. And I think it was really, it's a really good article for anyone that's dealt with life change and maybe had a bit of a tough time because it affects everyone. Yeah. Oh, no doubt. Look, the sense mm. of loss that these guys would go through, especially for someone like Daniel, who's got uh, a wrecked body at the moment. I think, I think yeah. he's had a, a hip replacement, which is ludicrous when you're, what, like 26 years old or something. It's terrible. And I don't, don't even think he's played any more football after he got delisted. You know, that would be something that's pretty hard to get your head around, I think. And... Uh, yeah, you know, for a lot, this is this is your childhood dream. You know, they've worked exceptionally hard from the age of, you know, what, like nine or ten. You know, getting into special squads, getting into yep. state sides, under sixteens, under eighteens, draft combine. You know, there's so much scrutiny on players these days, and it starts from you know the age of about fifteen or sixteen, and to go through all that and the huge uh, mental and physical stress that that you've got to go through, and then to be out of the system in you know two to four years. Um, it's no doubt incredibly hard, and and I know there are a lot of things uh, in place to set players up for their post AFL life, um, which are which are done by the AFL. But no doubt, many slip through the cracks. And uh, as Daniel says, just for example, he's been battling the AFLPA for three years for injury payments. Yeah, absolutely. And look, I mean, you're quite right. I think they certainly for current players, they're doing a lot better. I don't know what they're doing for past players. So, for example, the guys that were playing at clubs, you know, 20 years ago, whether there's been any catch-up for them when they had no support because they could still be in difficult situations. Um, it's, I don't know. It, look, it's it's really it's really difficult. Um, I wouldn't be surprised. I, I, I'd like to know what the over-under is on Graham Corns writing an article this weekend about how it's like coming back from Vietnam or something like that, which it kind of is, you know. Mm. Um, it's just this whole life dominating experience that just ends and then you deal with it um, oh yeah yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and i guess that's just something that professional sportsmen have to go through and look it's oh, not yeah. just the afl i mean there's there's plenty of stories out of the uh, you know the nfl and the nba and some really good documentaries about that sort of thing as well yeah absolutely um and i, I think that afl as much as we're talking about having hip replacements and things like that i mean for the amount of contact in it you hear horror stories about NFL players that have just been concussed and concussed and concussed and they, mm. you know, they're basically zombies walking around. It's terrible. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah, well, it sounds like Daniel's in a better headspace now, so that's, uh, that's certainly yeah. a good thing as well. Yeah, and working with Maddie Thomas as well, which is nice yeah. to see. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Yeah. Well, look, on to our normal festivities. Um and we'll go through our sweet and sour. One thing we found sweet, one thing we found sour about Port Adelaide this week. Uh, Portia, what was your sweet? Uh, look, I think I'd almost say the article was my sweet, but if we're going to talk about the football, um, I would say that my sweet is probably the fact that Jarman Impey's still playing okay. Um, he's not, cons- not 100% consistent. He's not 
I don't think he's been breaking it in the games. But um, at this point of the year, I think a lot of people now are at that tipping point where they're looking towards improvement because we're not going to make the finals. Mm. And I think the German MP, from what we've seen so far, I think he's a player that we can hopefully come out of 2016 and say, yep, yeah, he's good enough. Um, so that's my sweet. Yeah. How about you? No, that's a good one. I, I like that one. And look, MP's had a, a decent year. He's played a, a couple of different roles. And, you know, I think he just needs to improve his core strength. He still gets caught a little bit too much. And if he can learn to break tackles, he's going to be phenomenal. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he's got all those traits. He's got the, the pace. He's got crazy speed. He's got pretty decent skills. He takes the game on. He's got confidence. I think it's just building that core strength. Um, so that he can break through the tackles where he now gets caught sometimes. If you can do that, sky's the limit. Yeah, look, I, I think so. Um, yeah, I agree entirely. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> and my sweep for this week is uh, Jesse Palmer's form in the SANFL. Oh, and okay. For me, he's just absolutely 100% has to come in this week for his debut. There's no excuse for him not to play against North Melbourne. Um, he's been pretty consistent all year. He's had the odd down game here and there, but uh, he's regularly hit you know, near enough 20 touches and, and consistently hits the scoreboard as well. He had another big game on the weekend, and he absolutely deserves his chance at, uh, at AFL level right now. Yeah, look, um, if he can come in and play a role, it'll be nice. Um, what makes you think that he's ready for it now? Like, Is it his output or is it the way he's playing specifically? I think it's his out. I think it's probably both. I think um, his consistency has been really, really good. Where he was okay. a little bit inconsistent last year at times. Sure. Um, but I, I think he's also doing the the team things that you need to be done. You know, he had ten tackles on the weekend, which was uh, which was great to see. But his output's mm. also been fantastic. You know, he had twenty one touches, nine marks, uh, three goals, ten tackles. You know, he's. I think he deserves a shot. Um, he's been in pretty good form now for for a while. Um, and I guess the only reason why he hasn't probably played so far is that has been the form of Aaron Young. Uh, but look, with finals out of the question, pretty much, um, I think it's time to uh, to give some of these boys a, a bit of a chance. And you know, his form deserves a, a crack at AFL level. Yeah. Well, I mean, I I wonder if we bring in Palmer. Yeah, okay, he's a mid-sized forward. Would you bring him in for Westhoff, maybe? Talk about sending a message, eh? <laughs> well, I'm of the opinion now that Westhoff's never going to get dropped. <laughs> well, <laughs> I agree. Honest. That's kind I of can't I see think... him ever get, getting dropped out of the side. Oh, but yeah. I don't know. I think um, I don't know. Maybe they might um, they might put him in for Neat, for example, because his form hasn't really been there. They could. Um, not sure they might drop Mitchell out, give Palmer a go. I mean, there's probably a, a couple of players there that uh, that you could yeah. Uh, look to replace, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, I guess the bonus about dropping either of Mitchell or Need is that, I mean, I think it was a deficiency that was exposed this week is that it'll actually make our team a bit taller too. So, yeah, if you, yeah it probably makes sense. Yeah. Uh, and you'll see our. Uh, oh, do I have to pick just one? Um, pick nine, if you like. <laughs> <laughs> Can I pick 21? <laughs> no, um, it's... Uh, uh, I guess my sour this week is knowing that we there's not a lot we can do. There's not a lot we can do but wait for the end of the season. We can't play the kids, so to speak. Like we can bring in Palmer, you know, but we, there's no wholesale changes we can make to our side that'll fix it. 
there's no players that are going to come jumping back in the side and save the game for us. Um, we've just got to hang in there and wait for off-season and then hope it's all going to work out. Um, but I, I guess the other sour is that we know that Jake Need is a player with some limitations, although he has excellent endeavour. And the timing of his drop-in form to coincide basically with a two-year contract extension, which I would definitely argue I did say at the time was a year too long, it looks really stupid because we've locked in another small forward spot like we did with Cam Hitchcock for a player that can be shut down pretty much completely. And even when they're really good, they might get two goals. Um, yeah, it's it's bad it's bad. <laughs> I guess it's interesting with Jakey Need because I, I think we all really like Jakey Need and yeah. some of the traits that he brings to the side, but his output just maybe isn't there. I mean, has he really developed all that much since 2013 when he debuted? I'm, I'm not really sure he has. He, he doesn't hit the scoreboard enough. He's only kicked 12 mm. goals in 15 games this year. Um, he probably doesn't set up the play enough. We, we know he's got some issues with hitting targets, both by hand and by foot. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's almost like we've decided that we need this sort of player in the side, and Jakey Need is just about literally the only player on our list that can actually perform it. Yeah, I mean, I understand why he's playing every week. Like, this is, I suppose, there's two discussions that could be had about it. Like, I understand why he's playing every week without having the big scores on the board, and it's because Hinkley's trying to impress on the side that if you work hard, that is when you will play every week, and that you must always work hard and you must always be accountable. And I understand that, but I don't know that you can extend that to the list management as well. And I think that's where we, I think that's where we are being caught out right now. Yeah. I'll look at your classic uh, post-contract, um, you know, letdown, I guess. Um, yeah. And look, yeah. we've probably got another two or three weeks to go of Needy not getting much of the ball before he sort of kicks back into gear again. Yeah, probably. Probably. Mm. Good times. <laughs> <laughs> look, last um, hour this week yep. um, is skills. Skills mm. and more skills. It's mm. as simple as that. We just aren't AFL standard in the art of skilling, basically. When three players with uncontested kicks pinpoint three Hawks with 20-metre passes coming out of the defensive 50 in the first 10 minutes, you know you're in for a pretty tough night. And our skills didn't improve as the night went on. Irregular turnovers in the defensive half. Dixon skying the ball every time he chose to kick. Mitchell nearly breaking Boke's ribs because he can't kick further than 10 metres. Mm. It was just an absolute shambles. And... Look, KT can wax lyrical all he likes about um, how we're apparently a top four side just playing badly, but you know the proof's in the pudding. We aren't a skilled footy team. We won't be finals quality until uh, we do excessive work with this group. That's even if we can do excessive work with this group or recruit players that know how to actually kick properly and hit targets. Yeah, look, um, I, look I agree, Macca. Uh, we've talked in the past on the podcast about how a large part of goal kicking is system. But like you said, when it's an inconsistent kick and you're pinpointing opposition players, I mean, there's more. You know, that's that's not system at that point. That's no. you need to learn how to kick. Yeah. Um, so we've got a lot to do because we need to fix both of those if we're serious about being a top four side. 
Um, and that's a lot of work to do, you know? It, it is a lot of work to do. We're just not a skilled footy team. And I don't think we're we've not. ever really been a skilled footy team. We have, oh, no. we have spoken about it a lot on this podcast. And even in 2014, when we were at our best, you know, it was mainly because of the fitness advantage that we had in that particular year, as opposed to our players being exceptionally skillful. Yeah, I'll, I'll be careful with the never, though, because, I mean, back in the early 2000s, I mean, we oh, were... I'm talking about with this particular Yeah, with group this group, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, look, I agree with that. Um, I think we've had a few people that are good at snagging goals, but that's not the same as being a good field kick. And I think, I don't know, and it's not consistent across the ground. And that's why we have things like players that take a mark and then hand passing to someone jogging alongside them to take the kick. And I hate seeing that. I really hate seeing that. Mm. Every player should be a good kick. Every player. Yep. But that's that again. It comes down to list management and what we're prioritising when we're drafting. And what we're prioritising when we're drafting seems to be best available still. Although we're getting a bit better, I think these last couple of drafts in that respect. But I don't know that we're necessarily bringing in sharp kicks yet. Hopefully, Harley Bonner will be one that we're bringing in. Um, and let's face it, Darcy Burn Jones is pretty good. Um, I'm hoping that our Young player recruitment is focusing on that more now than they were in the past, but that's still going to take five years to come through in full. Yeah. Um, Although even our supposed great kicks <laughs> still have far too many howlers for yeah, their yeah. reputation, like Hamish Harlett, Matty Broadbent, Nathan Cracker, um, Travis Boak even on occasion as well. I mean, they still have far too many howlers than uh, what you would expect for players with um, supposed reputations for being fantastically skilled. Well, it's one of, again, this, this part does come back to system because when, like you see it with good good sides and you say, oh, they're not playing very well, but they're winning. And the reason they're not playing well, very well and they're winning is because they are allowed moments in the game where they can have the ball and not be 100% focused and not have to be 100% focused because they know that the player's leading to them in a place that they're expecting and they know what the next step is and they know what the next step after that is. Whereas our players don't know that. They, they know that a lot of the time they learnt that already. They learnt they can kick to Charlie Dixon and it might come off, but there's no consistency. Um, and so you've got, to, you've, got to, you've got to think through, you've got to read every situation uniquely going forward. Mm. Um, and that's a huge mental toll. Mm. No, you're right. You're right. And look, uh, our system hasn't really been all that good either. Our structure is certainly not there. As, yeah. as we've said a couple of times this year, I think um, we thought the game was going in one direction and we've got it wrong, <laughs> quite simply. Because the way that we've chosen mm-hmm. to play footy this year with all these long kicks to, t- to, uh, to contests, and it just hasn't worked out. And no other team is really playing this way that's, uh, that's really sort of challenging for the final. So, you know, I think we've made a bit of a furphy there. Yeah. It's it is a bit of a furphy, but this comes down to Port Adelaide football, which is everyone's favourite phrase, Port Adelaide football. And I'm sure you recall as well as anyone, Macca, back when Port Adelaide football was meant to be long kicking and to contests, and then we win the ball because we want it more. Yeah. Um, we're playing Port Adelaide football, and it's not winning. So mm. what are we going to no, do? No, you're right. Well, look, we are doing that, but. It's not 1988 anymore and Jack Carroll's not coach. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> that sort of game plan hasn't worked since no. about, what, 1997 or so. Mm. So, no. yeah, you've got to move with the times. And, you know, Port Adelaide football needs to become about being highly skilled, highly trained. Um, mm. You know, net, 
you can certainly have the never giving in and you know, 100% effort and all that sort of stuff, but mm-hmm. that should be mm-hmm. a given. That shouldn't be the, the landmark of your of, a, of the way that you want to play football. Yeah, well, look, I mean, it's really about minimum standards. And I think this is probably, we've talked about this before as well, um, one of the things that Neil Craig got right with his crowbots, and that we can see Don Pike is doing pretty well with his crowbots too, is that I think every player there has for the most part, minimum standards across different areas. So at a minimum, they're you know this quality kick. At a minimum, they're this fast. At a minimum, they're capable of these things. Yeah. And so that makes it a very modular side. There, They can just move players around and it makes it quite easy to coach. But it also means that everyone knows what you've got to do to get in the side. Mm. Whereas our current side, like, what do you, who do you look to? If you're, if you're Jesse Palmer right now, who are you replicating the pathway of to get into the side? Because there's no system there. You know, yeah. you're going to... You can't replicate Aaron Young because there's no sub role. You know, um, Justin Westhoff, well, no one's Justin Westhoff on the list apart from Justin Westhoff. Jake Need doesn't seem to be getting in on goal kicking. He's getting in on chase. Mm. But, like, there's no, it's, if I was, if you're you're a young player at Port Adelaide right now and you're trying to work out how to get in the top side, I'm not sure that there's a very clear pathway for it. Mm. No, it's a fair point. It is a fair point. Uh, Dylan has written in on the uh, Spreaker chat. We want to hear from more people on the Spreaker chat. He mm. has said, uh, why on earth we sign Need up after finding Impey as a forward? Which is uh, probably fair. That's probably a player I overlooked a moment ago. Um, you know, He has come on really, really well as a forward. So, well, I think Needy deserved at least one year. Uh, I think one. Two is probably a bit much. But uh, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, yeah. Um, and look, I'll just mention it quickly so that we remember to talk about it in the Magpies. But Bevan on the Spreaker chat as well reckons that Frampton is his sweep for the weekend. Yeah. So we'll, I guess we'll talk yeah. about that. Yeah. Big Billy. Oh, yeah. He had a ripper. <laughs> now, let's uh, let's go through some uh, questions from the Big Footy uh, forum. Uh, Phil mm. Wright, we've had a few questions about this particular player, so I'll ask both uh, in the one sort of uh, part here. Phil Wright has said a Polex form of late is a major concern. If he doesn't improve in the remaining games, could he be trade bait at the end of the season? And Johns has also asked, what would you do to turn Polex's career around? Uh, this is the really this is really challenging, and Look, sometimes players just go through a, a bad patch of form. Yeah, they do. And but, he's that sort of player. You know, he's he's never been a consistent 25 to 30 touch player. You know, he's always been, even in his best year in 2014, there were games where he had, you know, three or four touches in the AFL. Yeah. And the next week he was getting 25. So he's never been super consistent. Look, I think at the moment he's just uh, badly out of form. He's probably... Um, I don't know, maybe he's a little bit unsure of his place on the list or, or where he fits at the moment because he's he's probably struggling to do some of the things um, that are going to get him back into the side, like chasing and running and you know second efforts and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, well, that's really it, though. I think that, like, we talk about him being out of form, but it's not like other players are out of form where they're trying things and it's just not coming off. It's that he's not playing in the way that he needs to unless he gets mm. a rocket. And that's why he's so inconsistent quarter to quarter specifically yeah. um, or when he comes off the bench. Um, I don't I don't know if he's willing. Like, this, the way he plays and the things that you see as a flaw in his game, so, for example, not being accountable, 
or only chasing when he thinks he can get a, a pass from someone else and things like that. For the most part, he has had a few games where he's come out and he's tackled pretty well. And again, that comes down to Rockets. Mm. Um, but the ways that he's not showing form, it makes you wonder if he's willing to put in the effort to play AFL football. Because we've talked about how oh, Brisbane's terrible. He was just sulking at Brisbane, so he'd come back to Port Adelaide. And that might be true. But if he's going to keep sulking when he's here, then maybe that's actually the sign of a sulking player and not a homesick one. Yeah. Or maybe he's he is still struggling with his foot. I mean, it's he could be. certainly a possibility. Well, if, yeah, maybe he is. But in that case, is playing football every week at senior and, and reserve level really the best way to deal with that? Yeah. You know? All I know is that when you're getting nearly 400 touches... Um, as a team in the SANFL, when Pollock's only getting 11, there's mm. something a bit wrong. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I could see him potentially being paid back, but who's who's going to say we want Jared Pollock? Because I think every team now, like you see the Sydney side and you see the Hawthorne side, like every team that wants to improve right now, they know work rate is really important. Like you're not, it's not as easy as it used to be to be a talented head case, so to speak, you know, that not really what I mean to say, but not it's hard to get by on talent and not hard work much more these days. You Travis Johnston types aren't in high demand. Yeah, 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 say. yeah. Uh, there was someone else, Daniel Motlop, I suppose, but he did work pretty hard, so he's not even right. Who am I thinking yeah. of? But you know what I mean, the sort of lackadaisical kind of players that come out and they, they've got a lot of talent, but they're not really working hard enough and who knows I what they're going to do. I Bernie Vince might have come under that um, maybe that uh, when he was a Crows player, but he certainly turned his career around and uh, and, and has worked a lot harder since uh, crossing to Melbourne. Yeah, yeah. Look, he has. He's a good player. Um, and players can recover from it. Like Jared Pollock, it wouldn't be surprising if in three years' time he, he was the player that we hope he is. Yeah. But there's three years between now and then. Um, so are we going to be the side he does that at on, a, on an elite list? Mm. I, I think know. he's going to be given every chance. Look, as I said, he's I probably so. just out of form. He might be a little bit worried about his foot, maybe. I'm not too sure, but mm. um, we know he's a super talented player. Um, he's just got to get in the right headspace. Um, yeah. And, and the only way that he's going to get back into the AFL side is by, is by working his ass off. It's as simple as that. He's not going to get um, token games yep. because the whole reason he's been dropped out of the side is because of his work rate. Yeah. So if, he, if he fixes that, he's back. Yeah, and look, I mean, I guess that's the one thing. Like, we have melts every Thursday night on selection night, but it's one thing that Ken Hinckley has made a, a non-negotiable this season, which is good to see. So, mm. yeah, yeah. And Dylan's got a good comment on Spreaker, which I agree with, which is that Pollock should be uh, Robbie Gray here, um, but he may be following the same path in regards to injuries and work rate, which is actually a pretty astute observation, I think. Because um, Robbie Gray, for several years, I mean, we're talking about trading him every two minutes. Yeah. And then he came good, but... Uh, Again, that means we're locking down a position on our list for another two or three years before he becomes an excellent player. And I don't know, how many of those spots can you have on your list? I don't know. Hmm. Well, look, mm. if he has a poor year next year, I think uh, he's going to be hard-pressed to stay on the list, I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it wouldn't. It, it is possible he could get traded, but I just don't think the offer would be high enough to justify it. It won't be unless... this year. It certainly won't be nah. this year. Mm, yeah, I mean, it's hard to talk about potential trading as well because a lot of 
times it does come down to like when particularly when they're going to final sides how those teams have performed in finals and what they're perceived as their big weakness they want to correct yeah um he's a great player when he's on song yeah no he is absolutely mm. Next question, which is a one from you when you were still on the uh, emergencies list. Uh, can you name three current or former Port players who, if they were a dog, they would be a blue healer? It's a tough one because I just sort of threw it out there as a question along with some other ones that I thought, ha ha, they'll have fun answering this one. And now I have to answer it. And that's really rough. I don't think it's fair that you ask me this question. <laughs> um, well, I could I... ask the babies one. If you like. <laughs> well, it's easy. That's about. I've worked. That, I've been thinking about that one, which is why I asked that one. Which the question was for people listening in was how many different babies have you held in your lifetime? And like you, you know, if you hold the same baby multiple times, that only counts as one. Mm. And I, I, could, I reckon that's a figure that could vary enormously from person to person. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I it's interesting. Around the fifteen mark. I reckon mine might be about twelve. Yeah. I reckon twelve because I've got a lot of cousins and. Um, yeah, I reckon I reckon twelve is probably where my mark is, but I reckon there could be people with up to a hundred oh, or more. If you work in childcare, yeah, yeah oh, well, exactly. <laughs> imagine imagine if you're a, a nurse working at the hospital with the the oh, um yeah. in the what, maternity suite, you know, you mm. could handle heaps and heaps. It'd be yeah. interesting. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, <laughs> anyway blue healers. the real question. <laughs> blue, healers. blue healers. What what is a blue healer? It's a it's a cattle dog. So they're loyal. They're hardworking. They're tireless. They run all day. Mm. They're, they're pretty brave. They don't cop any shit from anyone. And they're pretty blue-collar. Ha-ha. They are. That's why they're blue-healers. <laughs> yeah, so look, I mean, I think Michael Wilson would be everyone's first inclusion on this list um, because he he meets that criteria perfectly. He's he's dogged. That's another word we can use. Um, he will chase all day and he's got that little bit of nip and he controls the play. Um, but apart from that, oh, it's tough. It's tough. Mm. Maka, have you got any thoughts? Look, my first one would be uh, Lisa McCune. Is that what we're okay. talking about here? No? Well, okay. Bad She's joke. not a former Port Adelaide joke. player. What a shocking joke. Yeah, I thought uh, you were going to mention Tim Ginevere. Tim Ginevere is the absolute epitome of a blue healer Port oh, okay. Adelaide player, I reckon. Just hard at it, loyal as mm. anything, tireless worker, brave, exceptionally good. Um, he's the epitome of a blue healer um, sort of dog, I reckon. I don't know. Like when I think, I mean, I agree that for the purposes of this, he's probably as close as we're going to get outside of Wilbur. But I mean, I would put Tim Ginevan more as like a some kind of terrier, um, because he is very yappy. Yeah. <laughs> true. Very true. <laughs> very true. Uh, Tom Logan would be up there. Oh yeah, definitely, absolutely. Yes, agree. Jake, Neer, <laughs> he does a lot of running. Jake Need, I like as, as that's a that's a good little surprise one there. Absolutely, yeah. we've got um, Bevan on the Spreaker Live chat saying George Ryan Pillis asking Roger James. I'm not sure about that one. Roger James. I'm not uh, sure he's got the physical accountability. I mean, I'm not yeah. saying he's unaccountable, but I just don't call him being a maybe an overweight blue healer. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, like one that gets too many treats. Yeah, yeah, blue healer that doesn't actually chase sheep or anything. We just sort of sits around the house and wags its tail. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. What's the next question? I think we've done that. Uh, one yeah. great club. What is our forward structure supposed to look like? We either have thirty-six players in our forward half or none. Where is this yep. breaking down? Uh, well, I mean, I I think that goes back to the first part of that question, which is. 
what is our forward structure supposed to look like? Because we're obviously not playing traditional forward structure. And at no point are we expected to be playing a traditional forward structure because if we were meant to see it, then we would have seen it at some point this year and I don't think we have. Mm. Um, I made a comment, I can't recall if it was on the podcast or not, when I was watching the Under-18 Championships a couple of weeks ago that they play the same way we do. Um, you know, they're all mostly around the ball and there's not huge amounts of structure. In fact, they probably have more structure than we do, more visible structure than we do. I don't know. I don't know, Macca. Have you got an answer for this one? Probably not. This is this is the great question of uh, of the season. What is our forward structure supposed to mm. look like? Mm. Because we probably haven't really had one, to be honest, for, for much of the season. Basically, our structure is chuck Charlie Dixon down there and bang it on his head and hope he takes the mark. <laughs> And if yeah. he doesn't, then hope that uh, Aaron Young sort of runs onto it. And that's yeah. uh, that's pretty much been it. You know, we, we tried, we obviously must have tried this uh, this three-toll system uh, for all the pre-season, which uh, went out the window as soon as uh, Schultz got injured at the end of round yep. one. Um, and then we didn't replace him, basically, until uh, Howard came into the side a little bit later on. So it's, mm. it's really a question without too much of an answer. Where is yeah. it breaking down? I think it's fundamentally flawed what we're trying to do with our forward entries and, and how we're trying to set up. Yeah, I agree. Look, I like, think how that... many times would we have hit up a leading target inside fifty this year? Hardly any. I reckon it would Hardly be any. under six. I reckon you're probably close. I, I can't recall too many marks inside fifty from a, a genuine sort of lead. Nah, nah. There's hardly any, and mm. it's got to the point where I don't think players even think to offer leads a lot of the time. Yeah. But Aaron Young does. I reckon Aaron Young would probably have most of those six. <laughs> yeah, well, quite possibly. Yeah, absolutely. Look, yeah. Bevan is, uh, has mentioned Johnny Butcher and has said uh, Butcher will fix everything. And funnily yeah. enough, he's been a player that I've been super critical of in his leading patterns throughout his career. Um, mm. I don't think he... Certainly in the past, I don't think he's been able to read the play sort of coming in. No. But this year at SANFL level, that's been a real highlight of his game, is his, his leading and his ability to mark on a good lead. Um, okay. So certainly I wouldn't mind seeing him come in um, and seeing what he can do. Yeah. Uh, but no, no doubt he would be expected to uh, take contestant marks um, against five opposition if he was to come yeah. into our side. So. That's true. Um, just going back to the previous question, we've got a couple of good answers on the speaker chat forum. Um, Bomber Clifford said Jake needs a Kelpie, which... I don't mind that one, but the real genius one is that uh, Justin Westhoff is an Irish wolfhound, which I love. If, if you haven't seen an Irish wolfhound, Google it now, and it's perfect. That's a really good comparison. Mm. I'm going to do that <laughs> right now. I called him a Labradoodle because a Labradoodle looks ridiculous, and I reckon Justin Westhoff looks ridiculous. Oh, but he nice. looks exactly like an Irish wolfhound. <laughs> uh, good stuff. Yeah. Uh, next question. Uh, Bomber Clifford, does Schultz and Carlisle have a future at Port? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Carlisle, I, I would be doubtful about. Schultz, yeah. I don't know. If Butcher comes in for the last few games in the season and he's not awful, then Schultz probably doesn't. Mm. And if Butcher doesn't come in and Schultz stays fit, then maybe he does. I think Schultz is gone at the end of the year. I reckon he's going to retire. Uh, Carlisle, he's either going to retire or he'll stay another year because he's still got mm. another year on his contract. So it depends mm. whether he wants to have another season. I mean, it depends when he comes back as well. I mean, is he going to play before the end of the season? I mean, who knows? But um, he might consider that uh, considering his last couple of years have been pretty heavily uh, injury riddled. 
maybe he might call it a day as well. Well, I mean, Carlisle could be a player that is a delistonary rookie um, because that would, at the very least, give him a year at SNFL level. And if we do need a callback, it would bring him in the side and it would give Clurie and Austin something to focus on in the off-season, the fact that that role is genuinely open, you know. Um, I don't know. Do you think that's an okay idea? I, I, I don't mind it, the idea of Carlisle going on the rookie list. Yeah, look, if it's to... So we don't have to pay out his contract, then I think that's well, perfectly well. fine. And um, as as decent experienced backup, yeah, absolutely. Mm, mm. Yeah. Uh, cool. Next question from Paf is: uh, If we had all of our players available, would we be competing for a top four spot? Maybe. I don't think we would be. I, I reckon think... we might have won two more games, which would still pretty much keep us in the same position we're in. I think Ryder could have made, again, assuming they were fit all season, Ryder could have made a huge difference, I think. Mm. Um, yeah, that's the main one for me. Again, it's one of those questions that doesn't really have an answer. It's no. It's too hard to no. say because, look, we weren't particularly injury-riddled last year. We had all our best players available for most of the season last year and we didn't make the finals. So yeah. what would have changed... Uh, this year, given that the players that we have had available for pretty much the whole year have been up and down like a yo-yo. Well, I mean, I guess if you're going to look for a, something to pinpoint and say this would help us, maybe if Jay Schultz hadn't been injured, it might be something I'd be more inclined to go with because that would have enabled us to go with that um, forward setup we were trialling in pre-season. Yeah, for sure. Mm. Uh, Long live PAFC has asked uh, how good is Cam Hewitt and Daniel Houston on the rookie list compared with Mason Shaw or Sam Grimley I don't care (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I I, I don't really care Uh, you know um, the rookie list is the players are developing Um, I suppose it'd be I mean you want to have you want to ideally have a ruckman that can come in and be experienced like ideally that's what you want to have on your rookie list it's the only thing that is a requirement though um so we've managed to fail to not have the one requirement of a rookie list, but apart from that, you can have whatever you want, so I'm not too concerned. Yeah. Well, I think, look, Mason Shaw's form in the in the waffle this year has been pretty impressive. I think he's kicked, or uh, well, a couple of weeks ago, he'd kicked 31 goals in about 12 games, I think. So he's certainly mm. kicking a lot of goals, and you know, maybe we let him go too soon. I would have been happy if he stayed another year. Um, yeah. Uh, or maybe he's flourishing now in an amateur environment where he only has to train twice a week. <laughs> Yeah, not, yeah. not having a go at uh, Longley PAFC here, but um, so many people have brought up Sam Grimley um, both six months ago in the off-season and, and now, and I'm just not sure why. And and I certainly don't see why he'd have helped us this year. You know, he's what well, kicked kick six goals in five AFL games. He's 25 years old. He's been on an AFL list for about seven years. It's, it's not a great record, and... Yeah, he kicks plenty of goals in the VFL, but uh, Hawks fans always found huge faults in his game. And and this year, with the amount of outs that Essendon have, he's only played two games and kicked three goals. If we aren't playing Butcher, despite him sitting second in the Ken Farmer medal, then we're certainly not playing Sam Grimley or or probably Mason Shaw either. Agree. (laughs) Quite quite simply. Yeah. So, yeah, would it be nice to have them there as backup? Yes, but I just don't think they would have still got to go. Yeah, if we're in the land of fantasy decisions, I mean, that's not one that's going to make a big difference. So, 
And we're all, I think everyone was keen for Mason Shaw to come on. You know, I think we all saw he's, you know, he was a good mark, a really accurate kick, um, great size, good leap, um, and, and it's a real shame it didn't work out. But uh, you never yeah. know, maybe he might get another shot at AFL level somewhere else see. next year. But I guess we'll wait and see. But yeah, all right. also asked a second question: Do our coaches lack the ability to change things up during a game? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I disagree. I'm going to actually I, I, say no. Well, I think that, if anything, they're lacking in the capacity to do it rather than the inclination. Again, I'm going to disagree. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Make your case. Because I can. I think we actually try a lot of things. And I know uh, against Frio, um, a couple of people brought up, well, we just didn't try anything. And I could think of about 15 different uh, positional moves that we made mm. during the game. And look, if the players aren't switched on, um, and clearly, our skill execution is a major, major issue. Because of that, I think it's going to be hard to find a winning formula this year. And, and you can change players around all you like, but if I can't hit targets, it's not going to change anything. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess what I was, I was saying. I mean, I agree with you uh, that it's more. But when I was saying that it's more about capacity than intent, like the one that's come up this week is about um, Hawthorne, how they cleared it from the clearances and sort of negated Trengove. What, what what more can we do? We're already using yeah. Plan C or D or E or F. You know, <laughs> what 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 more could a coach do to fix that situation? I'm not sure that there is anything. Yeah. Um, and that's where capacity comes in. I think that we have got an in, we, we've got to admit it. We've got an injury affected list, and that's always regardless of the errors and the sins that have been committed in regards to list structure. When you've got injuries and they're to positions where you're weak, then that limits what you can do on field. Yeah. It it, it does so. But you're right about it mostly being about work, right? I'll come, the Carlton game, everyone's saying, oh, you know, if such and such plays instead, um, we win that game. It's like, no, nah, no, we don't. If, if you're at that game, you saw how hard we were working and we were not working hard. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, that's right. Mm. Uh, Glitch01 has asked the question, are we all happy with the apparent increase in intensity and in application or are we just papering over the cracks again with the season verging on done? Uh, the thing about work, right? is that it doesn't last. Mm. Uh, so work rate can be there one week and go on the next. Um, understanding system, having foot skills are things that once you've got them, you should be able to keep them. But work rate is hugely variable. So if all we're getting out of this at the end of the season is that we're hardworking um, and we don't put other things in place to make that hardworking effective, then we're doing, what is it, work, work smarter, not harder? <laughs> isn't that, isn't that the, the big uh, saying? Yeah. Uh, and that would be exactly what we should be doing. No, I would agree. I think uh, I think it probably is papering over the cracks a little bit at the moment. I, I've been impressed with our work rate for most of the last sort of couple of months. Um, but again, as I've banged on about about five times so far, skill execution is the issue, not necessarily work rate. And if we can yep. fix our skills, hit those targets, not turn the ball over with uh, with easy twenty meter passes. Um, you know, we, sh- we should be a lot better football team. But that's not going to happen this year. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's right. All right. Let's have a talk about Thursday night. And uh, obviously, Port oh. played Hawthorne. And despite a good first half, we fell away to a 22-point loss. 12 goals, 7 to 14 goals, 17. Uh, Chad Wingard, ever consistent, kicked uh, three goals. Whilst Ollie Wines, Carl Amon, uh, Robbie Gray and Jay Schultz all kicked two goals each. Um, what were your thoughts Porsche. Look, this is tricky because um, I wasn't originally intending to do the review. And so when I woke up on Friday morning, 
it just felt like a bad dream. And I got on with my day and it just felt like a bye weekend over the weekend. I just didn't have to think about football because there was no football on this weekend. No game on Friday, Saturday or Sunday. And now here I am on Monday and I'm trying to remember a game that I've tried very hard to erase from my memory and that quite frankly... I was um, in the last half. I was um, playing songs from the Lonely Island that aired on SNL um, just to entertain myself while I was had the football on the TV. So um, it was predictable, you know. Um, We had the preview podcast last week. Uh, Rick and I both tipped Hawthorne, which I think that's the first time that's happened. And you, Maka, tipped Port Adelaide, which was absolutely like if we were going to lose, that's your fault. That's on you, Maka, tipping Port when everyone else is tipping against. It is my fault. It's totally your fault. I'll take that on the chin. That's okay. Um, We had this reverse situation for what we had last week, which was um, last week we had Richmond coming off a six-day break and we were coming off the bye. This time Hawthorne, the reigning premiers, were coming off the bye. We were coming off the six-day break. Um, They were focused. They'd lost to us last year and they wanted to correct that. Uh, And they didn't just want to correct it. Their coach said, we're going to correct it. Yeah. We're under the pump. Uh, it was an important game for us, but we're not in a brilliant position to do anything. And I think we just saw that all that whole story just roll out 100% as expected. Um, yeah. Well, look, and correct it, they did. You know, yeah, they, they did. They physically assaulted us on the night. Yep. You know, Eber yep. goes off with concussion. Hartlett, I'm amazed he stayed out there because he looked yeah. on for all money with concussion as well. Uh, Dixon gets injured. Cleary gets injured. I mean, we, we were the walking wounded there for uh, for much of the game. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's just really a depressing game, really. Yeah. <laughs> it's a shame because look, I thought we started the game pretty well, and yeah, you know, we were we looked quite switched on for much of the first half. Um, certainly, the midfield was playing well. I thought the forward line was working reasonably well. I thought our skills coming out of the back line was absolutely horrendous, which I mentioned before. Uh, but for the most part, we looked uh, ready to play, and and the game was certainly up for the grabs at half time, and then. You know, as soon as the third quarter came out, um, yep. we were just gone. We were just yeah, absolutely spent. And maybe losing um, a key player in Brad Ebert sort of um, you know, cuts into your sort of running power a little bit, and especially with Hartlett sort of hobbling around the place and only really sort of playing in a back pocket from then on. Uh, that certainly uh, doesn't help either. But, um, yeah, look, Hawthorne came out after half time and, uh, and just uh, blew us away. Yeah, look, absolutely. Um... Good crowd, though. Good crowd for a Thursday night. It was a good crowd. Yeah, it was a pretty good yeah. crowd. Yeah, um, yeah. Look, I'm actually pretty happy that we didn't get blown away in the end, and you know, we, we fought the game out. So it did look like I had sort of uh, visions of it being sort of a 50 to 60 point loss um, at mm. times during that third quarter. Um, but we were able to sort of stem the flow a little bit and, uh, and work our way back into the game. And I guess uh, in the last quarter, I think it happened a couple of times where we'd, we'd kick a really good goal. Um, but then Hawthorne would reply within about a minute. Um, and it just sort of kills all sort of momentum that you hope on getting when that happens. Yeah, look, I mean, I think in part, and I hate to say it, but I think in part that would have been affected by Hawthorne, how, the, how Hawthorne are where they are on the ladder, in that they if, they if they drop back to the pack, they've got shitty percentage based on the year so far. So they're not playing for percentage now. They're playing for wins. And so all they need to do is do what they can to win and hope that their wins keep them in the top four, or more importantly, at the top of the ladder. Yeah. So I, I think that they don't care if you get within three or four goals, if they get the win, and that way they can rest a little bit and still keep their position. Mm. So I think we might have been almost allowed to have little comebacks. Yeah. No, that's fair. I guess that's fair. 
Um, I guess talking about some individual players, uh, I thought Matty Broadbent was very, very good on the evening. It was good to see him mm. play um, some more sort of midfield minutes. Uh, he spent a lot of time um, in the uh, in the centre square. Ended up with four clearances, ten contested possessions, twenty eight touches, um, and uh, and had some really good footy. I thought um, coming out of the midfield. Yeah, look, I mean, he, he played pretty well. Um, when your team's comprehensively beaten, though, like it, I've, I'd never seen a game where the opposition had no good player, and it's usually in part the game is won by who you allow to be a little freer than others. Um, I think Broadbent did well, um, but I think they did he did acceptably well for Hawthorne. I think uh, Carl Amon is probably another in that category. In that, I don't think he felt the same pressure probably as some other players did. Yeah. Um, and that he was allowed to get the ball because they thought that of the players they could stop, he was probably not the most important one. And I think that probably impacted on his performance positively as well. Yeah. Um, you know, because I mean, I think, I think not, it's not a slight against those players, but I think any week that you hear that um, Broadbent and Amon are going to be among your best players, you, you have a feeling you've probably lost that week. <laughs> No, fair call. And I guess talking about Carl, he did have a really good game. And I think, yeah. you know, he's been harshly criticised so far this year by, well, yeah. uh, by all and sundry. And I think it's probably a little bit unfair. And, you know, he had one of his best games of his career on the weekend. And the, the part of his game, which I really, really liked, which you probably wouldn't have noticed on TV or, uh, or unless you were at the ground, was, um, mm. was, his, um, was his running off the ball. Yep. He was running like an absolute madman and, and trying to present... Um, and even if he didn't get um, get hit up with uh, with being an option, he was still sort of giving those sort of second and third and fourth uh, efforts in in trying to find a place where he could run free and uh, and and receive the ball. And ten up with sixteen touches and a couple of goals, you know, it was a it was a pretty decent effort. Yeah, um, look, he's definitely one of those players that you need to be at the game to watch because, and I think that we're finding. Because of the emphasis on hard work, we're going to find more and more that the players on our list that the coach loves and that we should be respecting more than maybe would be apparent are the players that you do watch at the ground and you see the work rate off the ball because uh, you're not going to see it on TV. Um, and so you're going to see a big disparity between what people think on TV and what people think at, uh, at the game. So it's going to be interesting. Yeah, we spoke about Polek a little bit earlier and, yeah. and how he sometimes only runs when he's when he thinks he's going to receive the ball. And yeah. Carl was doing yeah. the absolute opposite of that. He was just running everywhere all the time, options, options, <laughs> just options, trying yeah. to create an option time and time and time again. Yep. And he didn't let himself get down if he didn't uh, if he didn't get kicked too. Even if he was in a really good position, he'd just mm. uh, find out what, what what can I do next to provide an option. So. Yep. Um, yeah, that's uh, that's something that I'm really impressed about with Carl, and you know, no doubt he's got uh, a lot a lot more sort of good AFL footy in him. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully he can continue on and not lose his drive to do what he's doing. Yeah. Uh, Robbie Gray, he, that was probably his best game since about round three, um, I guess you'd say. Yeah, 29 touches, 10 clearances, 19 contested possessions. Uh, and a couple of goals as well. It was great to see him get amongst the uh, the touches and also hit the the scoreboard as well. Yeah, look, I mean, Robbie Gray is just so reliable, and I would hate to be the opposition player that had to shut him down. It'd be a really tough job every week because he's just so elusive. Um, and in close, he can be elusive too, which is the, the the terrifying part about him as a player. He's been. I agree with you. I think he's played an excellent game, and it's good to see he's come back from his injury well. Uh, Aaron Young, how did you find his performance? Uh, 
I'm not really too sure. He's all, he did all right. He did all right. Oh, it's another player I like to see at the game, though, so I couldn't tell you. I wouldn't want to commit anything. Yeah. I thought defensively he was really good again. Like, defensively, his game this year has been absolutely phenomenal. Um, but the last few weeks, he's just uh, struggled to get near the, the scoreboard a little bit and yeah. isn't really getting in position to, uh, to receive the ball inside 50 like he was, um, you know, sort of uh, at the start or the, I guess, the first third of the season. Well, I mean, there's no doubt that Hawthorne had that forward line on lockdown. Um, and we had talked about this probably a couple of months ago where we, when Aaron Young had space to run in, he was really good and we'd see how he did well against sides that are a bit more tight checking and with less space available. Um, that's not to say that we've you know condemned his career by how he did this week, but if, I, th- I think he'd be pretty disappointed that he didn't manage to have more of an impact this week and I hope he's working on it. Yeah. Uh, Kane Mitchell. Mitchell on Mitchell, did it work? Yeah, well, I guess. <laughs> oh, well. Yeah. I don't think he did. I thought Sam Mitchell was pretty good. Yeah, I, I agree. He, yeah. He was, he was pretty good. And, oh, I mean, uh, we, I, I think can they were I actually playing it? off each other a little bit as well. Like, um, yes, it certainly exactly. wasn't a, a super close tag. No, Eric and I discussed that on Friday. I was on uh, Wednesday, Wednesday, Wednesday night last week. Um, who the matchup would be. And I, I didn't like Mitchell on Mitchell um, because Sam Mitchell can be devastating with like a step. Um, and I think that that requires the closest checking you've got available. And yeah, Kane Mitchell playing off him um, is never going to be able to do that. Yeah. I think the worst part of uh, Kane Mitchell's game this week, aside from him nearly uh, destroying Travis Boak with uh, a kick that was way too short, um, was the fact that last week against Richmond he had eight tackles, three clearances. This week he had no tackles, no clearances. So I think he really let himself down defensively this week. Absolutely. And um, he'll probably get dropped. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's a fair chance. Yep. And I guess we spoke about Jesse Palmer coming in and you know, it might just be the case that um, he gets in there for Mitchell. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, Jay Schultz, he had a, a really good start to the game, took a couple of really good grabs, um, kicked a goal in the first quarter, dished off another to Chad Wingard, and then he pretty much didn't touch the ball for about 85 minutes. Same issue. If we're going to go through all the forwards, it's the same answer. Hawthorne had us on lockdown. Yeah. <laughs> really. Um, Their zone, I have to say, is yeah. absolutely brilliant. It's and spot on, isn't it? It, it's is, absolutely it spot. is absolutely spot on. You can tell it's a zone of a team that's been doing this for... Yeah. Yeah, just about a decade. Yeah, um, yep. you know they, they've been doing this for a good sort of seven or eight years now, and you know we're about one or two years into trying to implement the same sort of defensive structure. And whereas they were able to find space everywhere, everywhere we looked, you, you just couldn't find any any man sort of free going forward. So yep, yep, yeah, they, they certainly know what they're doing. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess that's the thing. Like we've gotten away from them in the past because we are difficult to predict, but when they're settled, then our difficulty to predict how we play um, and they're settled, then we're going to have trouble getting in there and they will have the same chance of reacting to what we're doing as we do, uh, except they've got better systems. So when they, I mean, I, I guess we can, it is possible to force them to give up the ball, but we didn't physically pressure them back. That's where the big difference was, I think, in regards to this game versus last year, is that we didn't make those defenders accountable when they got the ball, you know. Um, we didn't, our forward line did not do enough to make it so that those defenders never had an unstressed kick. 
Um, and that's where well, we look, thought, the, yeah. the manic pressure that we had against Richmond was just yeah. not there. Exactly. Against, uh, against exactly. Yep. Um, questions about our forward structure. I mean, I'm really not sure what we were trying to do. I mean, might as well talk about Charlie Dixon. I thought he had some nice moments in receiving the ball in sort of, you know, some really nice spin turns. He was almost like an ice skater at the Olympics. You know, <laughs> had, a, had a really nice dress and, you know, done all this, <laughs> this great sort of maneuvers. And then it came to his big moment of the triple somersault sort of thing and blew it, landed on his ass. And time and time again, just about every time he got the ball, he'd, he'd do this great spin turn and, you know, wheel around and then hoof it about 80 metres high in the air, um, which gave our players no chance of winning the ball at all. Yeah, that's the, definitely the wrong team to do that against. Um because yeah, that happened about <laughs> six times. <laughs> yeah. Times. Yeah, well, like, I mean, he's under pressure every possession he gets, and after a while, it doesn't, you just work on that basis, don't you? So, mm. Mm. so yeah, he, he was a little bit disappointing, I thought, on the night as well. And, uh, yeah. Chad Wingard had a really good game. I thought uh, yes. three goals, 14 touches, uh, was in everything. Um, again, defensively, probably wasn't there like uh, like Kay Mitchell, but uh, mm. uh, certainly offensively, um, he did a really good job. Yeah, look, um, Chad is a good player. He does well in against the good oppositions. Um, it's hard to criticise him for not doing enough defensively because his offence is very solid. Uh, but maybe I don't know. Like I don't know at what point you criticise Chad Wingard for not doing enough defensively. Like what is that point? What is the point at which his offensive capability is not exceeded? Does not exceed his defensive accountability? I'm not sure what that is. I don't know if he'll come up. I think he can get away with a lot. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. How did you see our two young defenders, uh, Tom Cleary and Logan Austin? Uh, it well, they got exposed a bit. Um, I think they did all right. They're both young defenders, like you said. Um, I my opinion of both of them is probably just founded on what I already think, so I don't really have any specific comments on this game. I do like Logan Austin probably as a player a little bit more than Tom Cleary, but as far as their performance, probably Cleary was better on the day. Yeah, although I thought Cleary was really good. Um, yeah, maybe got exposed a couple of times, as you said. Um, I'm not sure all of them were his fault. I think he got no, screwed over not. a bit by poor disposal coming out of the defensive 50 and yep. maybe found himself a little bit out of position. Um, and Gunston ended up with three goals. But he also only had, um, what, three marks and, and nine kicks, I think. So Gunston was certainly down on his uh, on his usual output, even though he still kicked three goals. I thought Austin had an absolute terrible first 10 minutes, uh, mm. made a couple of really bad errors and looked like the occasion might have been uh, getting to him a little bit, but I thought he regrouped pretty well after then and, and had a, a decent enough final three quarters. It's one of those situations with young players uh, where and it's really sad to see because it's where they can become cynical. You know, if you come into the side and you're doing all the team things that you're supposed to be doing and you're doing them well and then you're finding your teammates are letting you down, um, that can form a player's career from there because we've seen a lot of players come through Port Adelaide with that mindset and it's yeah. hard to keep that away for a young player. So yeah. hopefully he will, hopefully the other defenders will lift their game and or be moved on yeah. and then he will learn that you don't become cynical about your teammates because that way no one's going to ever succeed. Yeah, no, that's fair. Mm. That is fair. Right, moving on. 
And okay. uh, let's talk about the SANFL because Port had a really good game on Saturday. They played West at uh, Richmond and cruised yeah. to a very easy uh, 73 point victory 19 goals 15 to 7 goals 14. Uh, Luke Reynolds was the uh, the star with a massive eight goals, uh, whilst Jesse Palmer kicked three and uh, Butcher and Summerton kicked two goals each. Were we really that good? Because Westies have won two games out of 13 this year. Uh, we were pretty good, I have to say. I thought we were really, really good. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, first, quarter, just... first quarter, we did what we had to do and then shut down the game. It was almost like watching Choco Bowl uh, circa mm. 2006. Yeah, you know, we, we had a good sort of first 15 minutes and then just kicked it to ourselves in the in the back line for the last sort of 10 minutes of the quarter. But outside of that, um, I thought we were really, really good on the day. And, you know, Westies hit back in the third quarter, had a really good quarter, but, um, you know, we blew them away after that uh, in the final quarter. Kicked seven goals to one. Uh, we were dominant. We controlled the way that the game played from, from start to finish, which was pleasing. Yeah, I mean, I'm listening to you, Maka, and I haven't seen the game, so it's hard for me to say, but it, it sounds... I'm not hearing anything there that tells me that this wasn't um, a side going up against a side that is down on form and morale. I probably would. It probably was. <laughs> yeah. But, look, the Maggies have had a, a tough time of it this year as well, so... Yeah, true. To win a game by 70-odd points, um, it was probably the best we've played this year, I would say. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. on, on yeah. that regard... Sometimes, against, as I've said before, position. sometimes you just got to look, you know, enjoy the little, the little victories you get. Absolutely, and, absolutely, and I understand. Around. Yes, absolutely. As a spectator, it's good. As far as taking form of AFL players out of it, maybe grain of salt. Yeah, but there was a number of very, very good performances on the day by a number of uh, AFL players and non-AFL players. I have to say. Well, let's go back to that question we threw out there very early on. Tell me about Billy Frampton. Big Billy Frampton looked like a god, a big blonde god out there. He's uh, yeah. Yeah, he's developing really well, and I'm I'm sick of people saying, "Oh, he's not going to be ready. He's not ready." Get him in there. Get him in. I think he should come in to the AFL side this week. I'm uh, vote one for Frampton getting his debut this week with uh, Jesse Palmer for me. He looked really good. He had 23 touches, five marks, 23 hitouts, four clearances, five inside fifties. Um. You know, he, he did it all out there, quite simply. He looks ready to go. I did see a comment on the forums that says that he habitually plays behind when he's rucking, like Matthew Lobby does. Is that a concern? Uh, look, I'd say there are some similarities there between um, Frampton and Lobby. I think Frampton's got a little bit more grunt to his game. Um, I think physically he's probably not up to leading us at AFL level. In the okay. ruck just yet, I think that's pretty clear. But certainly, as a second ruck chop out, um, and coming up against what Goldstein this week, mm. uh, for me it makes sense to give him a debut, give him ten fifteen minutes a quarter, see what he can do. Good question from Bevan on the Spreaker chat forum. How many games would Billy play before getting a suspension? <laughs> uh, probably two. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Probably too. He's got a good little. Um, he's got a bit of campaigner about him, so it's uh, it's good to see. Excellent. Yeah. Very good. No, he's uh, he's impressed the last couple of weeks. He's he's putting some really impressive form together. Um. So yeah, it's a real shame that he missed out on on such a large chunk of the preseason and and start of the year because, um, if he was showing this sort of form, um, you know, three months ago, uh, when he was injured, uh, mm. things might have been a bit different, I guess, but. 
Yeah, he's one to to definitely get excited about. Well, that's that's very good to hear. Mm. <laughs> Who As else? We spoke Who about else? before Jesse Palmer. He had twenty one touches, nine marks, ten tackles, uh, three goals. You know, playing that sort of lead up half forward role, pushing into the midfield as well. Um, you know, he was exceptionally good. And again, he looks absolute absolutely ready to go. So just bring him in. Awesome. What about Tump? Tump played. Mostly outside, um, he yeah. he wasn't too bad. Like he was, I'm trying to think of who to sort of compare him to. I'm not not too sure, but he just got the job done. He, he his was a really good four quarter effort. Uh, Twenty six touches, nine marks, um, five inside fifties. Kicked a goal as well. Uh, played pretty much. I guess he was sort of playing that that sort of salopec role, sort of a, maybe a kick behind the play, sort of setting the mm. play up. I guess maybe the quarterback role. I guess you'd call it. Uh, uh, but pushing a little bit more uh, through the forward line as well than what uh, Salapek used to do. So, so um, he's competing with Hamish Hartler then? Uh, probably, yeah. Ouch. Yeah. Look, <laughs> he, play, he played a good game. I would have had him probably fourth or fifth best on ground. So Okay, well, that's good. He, he Is there anyone good else? Uh, Sam Gray was probably the best of the AFL guys. Uh, okay. 37 touches, kicked a goal, nine clearances. He didn't put a foot wrong. Used the ball really, really well. Uh, we know that's the sort of game that uh, Sammy Gray can pull out on a regular basis at SANFL level. It's just a matter mm. of him trying to uh, get back to doing the same at AFL level. So we spoke about Mitchell coming out of the side. And look, it's it's quite probable that Sam Gray for K. Mitchell is uh, a change that they might do. Okay. Okay. I mean, I guess against North Melbourne, it's probably not a bad idea to add an extra midfielder because they are usually challenging for us in that department. Yeah, for sure. Mm. Of the guys not on the AFL list, uh, Lukey Reynolds, eight goals. What a performance. Eight goals? Eight goals. That's not bad. That's uh, that's up there. That's quite up there. He's had a really good year this year, and you know he came across... Uh, he's already been on an AFL list. Um, you know was on uh, Carlton's rookie list a couple of years ago. Came back to Port Adelaide last year. Didn't get much of a go. Uh, but, you know, he hasn't really put a foot wrong this year, and he's been a consistent goal kicker. He's kicked around about 30 goals for the season now. Um, a lot of people sort of calling maybe that uh, he should be on the rookie list next year. Uh, I guess it's a possibility. Um, I'm not sure if his game is one that uh, that suits AFL footy um, in its mm. current format. Um, he, he kind of plays like an old school full forward. That's sort of slightly shorter. You know, I think he's about 188 centimeters. Mm, um, okay. Sort of lead up from the square full forward. Um, yeah. And there's not too many of those types of players at uh, at RFL level at this point. But no, I don't know. I mean, he, he's a really good size. He's well built. Can kick the ball. Can take a grab. Um, yeah, you can certainly think of worse players to put on a uh, on a rookie list. Yeah, yeah. I guess the question is whether we can do better. I mean, I'm, I'm hoping this year we'll make it another development year for rookie list players, so we'll go the big developing tall types, yep. um, in which case that will probably rule him out. Yeah. Uh, Sammy Gray's um, brother, Tom Gray, he had his best SANFL game. He had 20 oh, touches, kicked a goal. Um, if you were to have a player who had an impact per possession, he would have been best on ground. Because just about everything he touched turned into a scoring shot. So okay. he, was, uh, he was wonderful out there. Oh, that's excellent. Mm. Mm. And look, we might as well talk about Johnny Butcher. 
I know yeah. everyone likes to talk about Johnny Butcher. I thought he was really good. Again, had a 15 touches, four marks, kicked two goals. Um, certainly in terms of, uh, of the stat sheet, it's not his biggest game this year. But in terms of impact, I thought he was really good again. And you know, just his a- attack of the ball, leading really strongly, taking some strong marks. Um, you know, he, he really is a bit of a different player this year. Well, that's very good to hear. It is. Do you think he might come in for Schultz? Ah, for Schultz. Mm. I'd bring him in for Westhoff. Really? I, I would, I would yeah, okay. Him in for Schultz. And why not? Yeah, I'd bring in almost anyone for Westhoff right now. He's really shitting me off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I'd bring. I'd certainly bring him in. Um, I think he deserves a game. Okay. Okay. It's not much more you can do. No. Uh, it seems like Westhoff has uh, that gold pass, so probably won't happen. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm not sure. Can you see us dropping Schultz, even though his output hasn't really been there? Yeah. I mean, I, I guess the way to look at it is that if Kenny drops Schultz now, then Schultz isn't definitely isn't playing next year. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Yep. Mm. All right. Well. All right. I, th- I reckon that's it for this evening. Okay. Excellent. Thanks for coming on at short notice. No problem. I hope I wasn't rabbiting on too much. Not at all. Not at all. It has been a long one, though, but that's okay. That's all right. That's all right. Mm. Give the people what they want. Which is yeah. <laughs> yes. And on that note, can the pair. Go Team Instinct and, and go the power. Inside to Anderson. He drops the clutch and then goes away, puts it in towards half forward. Despair all over the place. Geneva, he'll love to finish this one off the diminutive little captain, and he's done just that. He loves it, Timmy. And the crowd love him too, particularly the black and white ones.